This podcast is brought to you by Free Buddhist Audio, the Dharma for your life. Our work is funded entirely by donations from our generous listeners. If you would like to help us keep this free, make a contribution at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash donate. Thank you and happy listening. Yeah, so this week we're, we're looking at this, uh, the text, this Padmasambhava's advice to the um, three fortunate women. And we've been um, through quite a lot of it now. And as we keep promising, we will actually give it to you at some point very soon. But um, when I was thinking about it for this talk, I was seeing the advice in three main parts. And um, the first part really is, is the sort of preliminaries, which Parami touched on the first day, but also the advice to both relax and lay bare and carry with us on the path that which is useful, which we, which we have looked at. Um, and in this talk, I want to go back to what I see as the sort of the meat of the middle bit of it, and particularly the start of that, which is three lines which, which go, um, uh, During the time of insight, which is surrounded by a calm, gentle aura, openness and appearance are inseparable. The six senses come forth, though appearance and voidness are inseparable. This is the real foundation, without which no means exists. So the third part, um, which I'm sure we'll, we'll come to more as well, um, talks about um, advice around virtuous action, around um, prayers, and also around dedicating our actions for the benefit of of all beings, which is something that we do ritually quite a lot within within Tri Ratna. But also in that third part, there is a line that I'll come back to at the end of this talk, um, which um, is the advice, not falling into the errors of excitement or passivity, be filled with confidence. So I'm going to come back to that at the end. But this middle bit that I'm coming back to, which I also talked... Um, about to some extent in the when I was talking about letting go all of two days ago, which seems like a different era. Was another different, last year? Last year I talked about. Um, and but this middle bit really just seems, as I say, to go for the jugular, um, particularly that during the time of insight, the six senses come forth, though appearance and voidness are inseparable. So I've called this talk "Appearance and Voidness Are Inseparable." And one of the things I wanted to do is unpick some of those terms. Insight, appearance, voidness, emptiness, shunyata. In many ways, it may be that simply the, the hearing them, the landing, the way this is expressed in Padmasambhava's advice, um, resonates or touches something that's really helpful. And that actually, it's in a way best to leave it at that, that you know they, they go in there's receptivity that allows something to emerge and to be seen more clearly. But also the area pointed to here, you know, um, is by definition ungraspable, impossible to explain really clearly in concepts and therefore hard to talk about. <laughs> it can sometimes fall into that area where there's a danger that we put it in there, oh, that's a bit difficult, that's a bit esoteric, that's a bit whatever box, and focus on things that are more tangible, you know, such as how we um, become 
better human beings, more ethical, kinder, kinder, for example. You know, and that is obviously also incredibly important to do. And, and there's also the line in this um, text that we're studying that says, um, when you purify yourself of your thoughts, realisation will come naturally, will naturally come from within. So that's important. But um, we talked about, Param, we talked about vision and transformation. And um, vision is essential for transformation. And my experience is that um, insight into emptiness, voidness, shunyata, and particularly of the self, but also everything else, has enabled a more complete and profound transformation than making effort without that insight. So the two things are important. But particularly in the realm of um, changing sort of deep conditioning expectations. So um, like Padmasambhava, <laughs> I would advise paying urgent attention to impermanence or more particularly in terms of focusing on in this part of the text uh, to emptiness. But in, in uh, sort of unpicking the terms a bit, just so that we're all on the same page, um, particularly so insight, appearance, voidness. So appearance, because in a way appearance isn't sort of how we would naturally express things. Um, but it's, it's, and appearance here is, is used to mean everything arising in experience. So through the senses, what's arising through the sense of sight, sound, um, our experience in relation to the thoughts in our mind, to the feelings in the body, to emotional tones, to how we're conceptualising, perceiving of the world around us, the context we're in, you know, here we are, we're on retreat, there's these other women, blah, 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 all of that. So appearance is everything that's... I mean, appearance is, is a, in a way, using that word, is coming from an aspect of seeing its voidness, but it, it's, like, it's just everything that's appearing. It's, it's in quite a basic sense, you know, just... Appearance, as in what we're experiencing. Um, but I just wanted to sort of clarify that. And also, um, so what it's talking about is that all of that, all of that experience, all of that appearance is void. So that's what this, this um, uh, pithy and effective teaching, which the Queen was memorising, is, um, is saying. And I'll come, come on to that. Um, but also in terms of insight, um, I mean, obviously we all understand what insight is, but one of the, the ways that I was, I've often find it hel helpful to sort of look at comes from a quote from the Buddha, which like most quotes from the Buddha, I have no idea where to locate it, is um, I think he was being asked how people could recognise what is his teaching and what isn't his teaching, and said that... Um, his teachings are simply those things that conduce to liberation. Um, so in that, sight, in that sense as well, the insights are things that can lessen dukkha, they lessen our, our suffering. Um, so so um, when we have insights into emptiness, there may be a sense of, um, of release that might be tiny, that might be immense, um, it might be temporary, it might be... Um, sustained um, so insights not as a sort of state of being so obviously we will have states that feel very pleasurable very positive where great faith is arising 
where there's you know dhyanic states where we can be in a state that feels immensely posit positive um, but don't necessarily lessen dukkha once they've passed they might it depends what's what's um, what's in it but that sense of insight into emptiness voidness into appearance and um, appearance and voidness as inseparable cuts the root of suffering cuts the root of delusion and it conduces to liberation um, so uh, Padmasambhava apparently was saying is you know Padmasambhava so is being associated with transformation and transformation can happen in lots of different ways but I think always, probably always, is preceded by some sort of vision. I mean, vision used in the broad sense of the word, um, rather than right vision with capitals, which we'll come on to in a bit. But um, we will all have had, and there will always be, some sort of vision that precedes stepping onto the Buddhist spiritual path. Um, and that may be that we've seen it as... I want this to stop, you know, it's, you know, I want the world, sometimes people come along to courses and say, I want the world to stop, I want my mind to stop, I want peace, I want this, I want the suffering to stop, I want to stop being caught up in this. So you may, it may not feel like a vision, but somewhere <coughs> inherent within that, there will be a sense that this Buddhist spiritual path will enable that to happen to, to whatever, to whatever level. Um, or we wouldn't make the effort, you know, it's not like um, Atrashadhar was talking yesterday about how, in a way, how hard it is to find the Dharma, but it's, it's uh, we wouldn't, it, but it's also once we found the Dharma, it's not an easy path, is it? It's like, it's not exactly the path of least resistance, <laughs> even if it feels like it for a while, you know, it can feel like that at times, but it, but then, you know, we, we inevitably hit something and it isn't, and it's obviously, it's not something we're born into. Um, so there will be vision to start, and along their way there'll be different aspects and changing vision that, that um, is necessary. Um, I mean, for me, um, my sort of, how I sort of retrospectively, or how I experienced that initial vision to step on the path, was quite simply curiosity. Oh, I was just interested in meditation. You know, just, there must be more to the human mind. Ooh, that sounds interesting. But actually, with the benefit of hindsight, when I look back, at where I was then, you know, I'd had a fairly sort of ostensibly unremarkable time being a child <laughs> who was, you know, loved by two parents and had a decent time, you know, it wasn't, it, but, um, and then going to university and then starting work for a couple of years. But then after working for two years, I'd, I'd stopped and I'd gone traveling in, uh, traveling and working in Latin America for two years. And when I came back, I didn't fit in. I didn't get on with any, you know, my friends were different. I had a sort of social and political awakening and grew up, basically. I hadn't, you know, in ways I hadn't really done before that. Um, so I didn't fit in. So, so I can see in hindsight that obviously there was something in that, you know, oh, I don't fit, that would have been part of what was fueling a searching. And even the fact that I did stop work after two years starting a career, you know, and go off travelling must be some sort of searching and even the fact that and I suspect that the fact that I was raised Catholic you know put in some sort of seeds also of there is more to life that I probably wasn't aware of so so there's probably more vision in that than I was aware of you know even though it didn't feel like it but in other for other people it may be 
more clear you know I've come across lots of people who say oh they you know they read the Dharma for the first time and realize they're Buddhists or people who've experienced quite consciously existential angst or searching as teenagers um I was talking to Mo yesterday and about um you know similarly not being interested in Buddhism just want you know just want to meditate just let me meditate you know and then but then encountering you saying about encountering that image of Avalokiteshvara and just suddenly having all of these responses that didn't fit with with that you know there's a there's a sort of a vision arising um but you know the vision and and how we experience it will change um during our time i mean i didn't um speak my um letting go i wanted to let go out loud on um in the ritual that we did in the shrine room on new year's eve but what was in my mind and still is is that i want to um let go of absolutely everything that stands in the way of spontaneous compassionate action and total liberation I mean possibly not all of it in 2018 <laughs> but you know at different times over the years it's been hard, much harder to identify vision in my experience I mean I was talking um in the other talk about that process of sort of recognition and remorse and making amends and confession and letting go following um getting divorced but at that time you know when that was all happening for for quite a long time certainly a year or two basically my practice enabled me to stay grounded and kind there was there was an enormous amount of energy released i went very very high and um I I just I really needed you know <laughs> to be clear to be consistent to enable my children to not be too affected by it and start school okay and 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 so that's what my practice was about I would meditate sometimes for hours you know any time that I had one child asleep and the other at nursery or everyone asleep or whatever I w- I would just meditate just to ground myself and even after that there were years where it felt like I would I mean I'd meditate you know pretty pretty had a pretty consistent daily practice for you know well over 25 years but it's um for years it would feel like nothing was changing all it was doing was keeping me sane stopping me being too irritable um but then i'd go on retreat you know maybe just um, most for most of the time i would go on retreat once a year and then i'd suddenly realize that transformation <laughs> had happened was happening um so you know i think one of the things that points to it is just the importance you know we're talking here about um focusing on on the insights pointed to in the in the text that we're studying but um just the essential nature of samatha practice that integration positive emotion i mean one of the ways um you know particularly i mean it isn't actually essential for insight to arise because that can happen spontaneously whether or not we have a practice but certainly for it to become transformational for it to have an effect it really is essential you know one of the images that i quite like is the idea that you know if you were trying to video something and sort of see it clearly but everything's shaking and all over the place you know it wouldn't work you know so there's something about that samatha practice and integration that's about stabilizing that being able to see more clearly but also um insight into emptiness voidness shunyata can be potentially shattering and I'll come back to that in a bit 
So having a foundation of positive emotion and having a way to work with positive emotion and access it is also incredibly helpful. So in a way that's a bit of a preliminary in terms of it. But what's being pointed to here in this, um, in this uh, text that we're studying um, is right vision, as in capitalised and as in the start of the, of the Eightfold Path as in um, you know, insight into the nature of reality, into appearance and voidness as inseparable. So what does this mean? <laughs> so we've got these words, um, voidness, emptiness, shunyata, um, which do mean the same thing. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, and, and um, but what do they mean? The meaning that sort of things are not solid absolute and real and this is where we get into the the thing where it can start to seem like a frustrating riddle we talk about neither existing nor not existing um, um, but it's about things not having inherent existence or not existing in the way that we assume they do and where we've had you know which um, direct experience of that that things are not you know, solid, inherently existing in the way that we conventionally la conventionally label them as existing, where we've seen that directly to whatever extent, whether it's around the self or other things or whatever extent, then it's easier to accept that that is true. Oh, yeah, I know that. <laughs> I saw that once, um, or maybe lots of times. So it may feel relatively intuitive and easy to you as a teaching. I don't, I don't know. Um, but it applies to, you know, this teaching, this reality of um, emptiness, voidness, applies to absolutely everything. Um, so that's right down to the concepts of time, space, awareness. Sometimes we think that would be nice. Let's rarefy that, you know, exist that much. Um, or the present moment, you know, e all of these things. Um, and um, and obviously we can experience that directly. You may already, um, even though it's you know it is a different paradigm. It's pointing to something that's in a different paradigm. That's why it falls into this neither existing nor not existing. Deliver anyway. Um, I mean, one thing that might be interesting as well um, is sort of how we feel about this whole area. Because when I was writing this, I was thinking. I bet people aren't going to enjoy this talk that much <laughs> because it's it's um, and I think that's fine. You know, it's not I'm not I'm not here to entertain. And if you like, I'm here to to try and clarify something of the of the text and the and the, the teaching. Um, but it's interesting just to notice your experience, you know, because you if you're going into like, yeah, but 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 it doesn't make sense or, Ugh, you know, that, you know, but I'll, which I'll come back to as well towards the end of the talk. But it's it's just interesting. So I just encourage you to notice whatever's arising and just let that arise and listen in whatever way is, is possible. But integral to emptiness, the emptiness um, of, well, all five skandhas and everything else, you know, well, everything fits into the five heaps, doesn't it, is that everything is um, created by our minds, fabricated by our minds. Our minds create our world, as we, you know, we've often hear, there's lots of teachings that point to that. Um, and we can experience it in different ways. So with our minds, 
and our creative minds, because this is all part of language as well, we're giving things labels and concrete existence yes, through language, through labelling. So we're making things into something in a way that's more solid, absolute, separate than they actually are. And we also do the same to ourselves and to other people. And by doing so, we separate out ourselves and other people. Um, but, so what I'm saying, you know, what I'm saying, well, <laughs> what Buddhism is saying, the Dharma is saying, is that um, this applies to absolutely everything. So right down to um, awareness, the present moment. But there are some ways in which we do this that are easier to see than others, where we can actually sort of see the cracks in this solid reality. And so that's probably worth a little bit of investigation because we might be able to see it in one place and then sort of start to extrapolate to the bits that are harder to see. So, for example, um, uh, we might feel bound by certain social conventions and we can sort of see those as relatively easy, that they're, they're things that have been agreed by human beings. They don't have inherent existence. You know, we shake hands rather than rub noses. So we can also see that sometimes those social conventions are vary between different countries, you know. And we can also see that actually the concept of a country is a sort of agreed between different people concept. You know, there's no... You know, there's no, I mean, although it may sometimes feel like there's a massive division between Scotland and England, you know, there's no actual inherent existence that is Scotland or England. You know, wars have been fought about where the boundary goes between the two, but there isn't an inherently existing reality that is Scotland, however deeply, but though it can be very deeply felt, you know, it, that's that's the thing, is that we can, we can um, yeah, we can feel these as very deeply and importantly existing things, but they have no actual inherent existence, no substantial reality. And also in terms of sort of things, you know, so you've got the tables uh, leaning up against the wall there behind Lisa, you know, and although it's not behaving as a table right now, <laughs> our, our understanding of the concept of a table can extend to some, a table with its legs folded away because... You know, we have the memory of, you know, it was behaving as a proper table this morning when we ate breakfast off, this, off it, and we can trust that it'll be doing that again by the time it comes to, comes to lunch. Um, you know, so, but, but actually, you know, what is it, you know, if we were to then throw that on a fire or drop it from a great height, you know, at what point would it cease to, to fit the concept of table? You know, there's nothing actually inherent in it, you know, it suddenly, you know, it can turn into firewood, <laughs> a different concept. So it, does, it hasn't got any enduring, inherent existence. But we can also apply that to things such as um, the roles that we have in the world. So sitting here now, I am in the role of an order member on the team of a retreat, <laughs> and I'm giving a talk. But, and there can be a sort of a weight and a solidity to that. You know, but fortunately, I can let that role go when I go to the loo or <laughs> have a chat with somebody or go for a walk. You know, it's not, it's, um, it's, you know, and that's when we can start, I think, to touch into the concept that 
seeing the holes in these, the solidity of all of experience can start to be conducive to liberation because sometimes the roles we have can feel really weighty. You know, I was talking before about being on retreat and realising I felt like I was carrying a sack behind me of all these different roles of being a mother and this and that. And But actually, on retreat now, I am zero used to my children. <laughs> you know, I'm not doing mothering. You know, it's it's a, it's not a solid, inherently existing thing. It's, it's you know, it's, it's a something I do um, at times. You know, also, but we will all have lots of roles. You know, I'm director of a social enterprise. I'm a sister. I'm a... I'm a customer of different shops. You know, they're, they're all they're all roles we have, and they can all feel quite sort of important and solid and da 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 da. But actually, you know, it doesn't take that much examination just to think. No, they're not happening. You know, just even I'm not doing it now, or they're not they're not that solid. So when we see these things as solid and having a real existence, they can weigh us down. You know, if I went around my whole life thinking like I'm an order member and I'm teaching, you know, that's pretty weighty. You know, I don't, I don't want to do that. Um, and yeah, so see, seeing the holes in those in those assumptions, those conventions can enable us to hold them more lightly. And at the same can also be said, um, just as a final example in in this bit, um, that for example. I am kind, I am irritable. You know, again, these are, you know, <laughs> they're things we can say. And yet, you know, it wouldn't take an enormous amount of inquiry to say, really? But what about yesterday? You weren't that kind then. Or, you know, hang on, haven't you just spent several hours not being irritable? You know, it's, it's not, they're not, you know, they're not, they don't have an inherent reality to them. You know, they are, yeah, they're just how we label things, how we conceive of things, how we talk about them. You know, just like, you know, money or how we measure time. You know, they're conventionally agreed realities. They are not substantial. And that is not saying that any of it is bad. You know, much of it is essential in order to live in a, you know, civilised existence with other human beings. You know, it's not saying, oh, everything that is a fabricated concept by the mind and by human beings is bad and we shouldn't have it it's not say it's not that at all but it is point it, it what what the teachings are saying is that these things are empty of any inherent existence and that insight into that is what conduces to liberation um but so some of those ways some ways in which that's true can be quite relatively easy to start to see but we might um, assume that it's just not the case or impossible to see when applied to other things um, you know particularly ourselves but everything you know like perspective surely that exists <laughs> surely that's further away than that you know but um but what's interesting in a way is what effect does it have if we open ourselves to the possibility that actually that emptiness of inherent existence um, applies to ourselves and absolutely everything else, you know, just as much as to the 
rea not existing realities of England and Scot Scotland or the social convention to shake hands or the fact that my children should go to university. You know, and um, so one of the things I wanted... So, that, so I think that... I mean, that's a question I'm posing in a way. When If you start to apply that, oh, right, OK, so where would the... Because like, you could say, oh, yes, all of those things I can see, they don't have inherent... Um, existence, I can see they're empty of that, but but those things definitely do. <laughs> so where would be the boundary between the two? You know, what does stack up when you're seeing it through this lens? You know, is it like no, I know what the present moment is. I'm experiencing it now. La, 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 you know, <laughs> but how quickly you know? Um, yeah. So so that's just. It's just to put out there and see where would the boundary be between these things do, these things don't. I mean, and these things don't, they aren't questions we need to intellectually answer. They're questions that we can drop in and allow to be there. But also in terms of sort of how can we respond to these things. I mean, one of the things I wanted to talk about is the fact that um, in this sort of realm of insight into emptiness, is that, you know, moments... Well, it can give rise to fear. And sometimes what can happen is that moments of insight into emptiness can be preceded by fear. Um, so experiencing fear, and particularly sometimes in meditation, can actually be quite an interesting indicator. It can be quite... Yeah, it can be quite positive. It's like, oh, actually, is something being challenged here? Is some of the solidity I'm assuming around everything with which I view things is some of that being challenged um, and one example of this for me was that um, a couple of days before a particular um, uh, sort of insight into the emptiness of the concept of self for me a couple of days preceding that, because I know I was sort of, I knew I was sort of in that territory, <laughs> feeling a bit wobbly, but I ended up experiencing a really crippling fear. I was in bed for several hours, shaking and crying, and you know, and the thought that was arising in my mind is, but I've just lost my parents. I mean, it was quite soon after both my parents had died. You know, I can't lose myself as well. You know, there was this this sort of like, uh, you know, and also. Um, but, and part of the fear was that, actually, if I experienced this reality directly, would I cease to be able to be an effective human being in the world? Would I cease to be efficient and <laughs> do things properly and get stuff done? Um, which, to some extent, I have. Um, but obviously not completely. <laughs> um, you know, and, and in fact, I, I was talking to Tejananda at the time, who's in, you might, many of you may know, who did point out that I um, had coped without a solid existing entity that was a self for about 50 years by that point, so I'd probably be okay. <laughs> <laughs> but other people, you know, but also for me, I, I don't particularly have a tendency to nihilism, so, so that wasn't a fear, but that also can be. It's like, so what's the point then? You know, if it's not about me and I need to, you know, protect and project and do and, and sculpt and improve, you know, this self, what's the point? Well, good question. <laughs> there isn't one. Um, 
you know, or, or, you know, again, for some people it might be, you know, that actually doubt comes in, you know, that there's a doubt. Oh, well, other people can see this stuff, but I can't, you know, I'm not, you know, whatever, you know, that that's not something I'll be able to see. And also because I think, I think that gets reinforced because this whole area is quite hard to talk about. And I think that reinforces the idea that it's hard to attain. Obviously, attainment too is emptiness, as we know from the Heart Sutra. But I think I think that that can um, make it seem more distant and more difficult, which doesn't help. Um, but even now, you know, I can I can I know that there's fear and resistance there. Um, I can feel that they're still holding on, you know, in some of those same ways. But 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 will I cease to function? You know, all of those same things are are still there. Um, yes, because, I mean, it's interesting that, that um, one of the things that Parami drew out at the beginning of the retreat was that uh, when um, Queen Myang Chung is um, requesting the teaching from Padmasambhava, the line in it is, although I have not renounced the world. And Parami was <coughs> drawing that out to emphasise that we don't need to renounce the world. We, where we practice is the context in which we are currently living because there is nowhere else, nowhere else we can currently practice. Duh. You know, but that's, you know, that's really important. And the, I can see, for me, at the moment, in my experience, that there is an element of wanting to wait for the right conditions to let go further. You know, that's, that's a lot of what the holding is about. Um, so, you know, for example, in early 2019, I, I've got, I'm, I'm going to do a three-month retreat, which is just wonderful. I've never done more than three weeks before. <laughs> but, um, so that, but there's an element of me that's waiting. Oh, yeah, when, that, when I go on three-month retreat, then I'll have the space, then I'll have the conditions necessary. So, so I can feel that as part of the resistance and the holding back. And also, but also one of the things I'm really aware of in my, in ex, my experience at the moment, um, which is not that easy to express, is that there's, there's this sense of momentum of stepping back and stepping back and stepping back. So, so sort of the three big roles areas for me are children, work, and also the North London Buddhist Centre, because I'm quite involved there. And actually... In all of those areas, the whole momentum is, I'm sort of stepping back. It's like, oh, right, okay, that's going well without me. I'll just go over here a little bit. Oh, yep, doing fine there. Just go over here. Yep, great. Yep, just, just be over here if you need me. You know, that's the whole, the whole sort of gestalt, if you like, the whole momentum of, not the whole, but that's an aspect of the momentum of my being at the moment. And the words associated with that in my mind, which sound far more dramatic than they actually are, is, I need to be allowed to die. And that, you know, and I don't literally want to die <laughs> at all, but there is that sense of I need, you know, I need everything to be okay without me, you know, and so that I can die, which does actually link also to this sort of the vision that I was saying about um, anything that gets in the way of uh, spontaneous compassionate action. Because actually removing all those roles, responsibilities, I should do this, I should do that, is part of what gets in the way. So if I were to be allowed to, 
die completely to all of that, then obviously I trust that what would arise would be a, a helpful response to whatever was arising, because that's what's happening now. So it would happen more so. Um, yeah. Anyway, but within, so partly I am sort of engineering conditions to make them more conducive. So it's not that I'm just waiting, but there is also this aspect of um, resistance, and I can feel that too. Um, it's just a, um, I've nearly finished, but there's a couple of other things. I mean, one of one of the the um, other things within this is I was having um, some reflections on falling, <laughs> um, which is uh, links to a couple of quotes, including the one that Lou included in her <clears throat> in her poem. So the one that I was saying to her there, I think this thing is because this idea of falling links to groundlessness, to emptiness, or, you know, that's why it's, uh, it, I was reflecting on it. So that quote is, um, the bad news is you are falling. The good news is there is nowhere to land. <laughs> and then there's another one which I got in my fridge at the moment, which is, if you were to fall to your death from a great height, it would be a shame not to enjoy the view. <laughs> anyway, I'll let you unpick those. But it's, um, and I was also, for some reason, reflecting on falling in love, you know, which, you know, it tends to, the actual sort of falling in love rather than, you know, as in romantic love, that, and that temporary, you know, that, that, that bit. I mean, it happens based on projection, so there's an aspect of it which is, by definition, deluded. But one of the reasons it's so compelling is that it temporarily dissolves the barrier between self and other. I mean, once we get to know someone, <laughs> that is reasserted <laughs> and may be very, very substantial. <laughs> But, you know, but, but what it points to that in that moment is, you know, this sort of lack of boundary, which you, people do, and you probably have, experienced in, in sort of moments. It may be how you experience moments of insight is be, by being aware of that lack of a boundary between self and other or between self and whatever else is arising. So, for example, in the, particularly in the 1990s, I used to go on a lot of intensive meditation retreats at Taraloka and there was always a point on that retreat where I would walk out onto the peat bogs which are behind Taraloka and my and the way my mind labeled the experience of it was that it was like the savannas of Africa because at some point in the retreat the colors were so intense and the sky is so big that that's that's the way that I um expressed that reality um and so it was as if I'd only partially seen the peat bogs up until that moment because I'd seen it through a particular lens of, oh, this is a peat bog, and I'm doing this, which, is, which was true, you know. So, so there are, I had only partially seen it up to then, so what I was experiencing then is, is, a much, you know, is, is much more direct. So there are these moments where we sort of get out of our own way and experience directly the lack of se that lack of separation um, because we are experiencing ourselves, you know, as empty of inherent separate existence. That's why there is a lack of separateness, because we're not experiencing ourselves as separate. Um, 
but even but this intensity of experience can feel quite disorientating and that's why in a way our minds will come quite in quite quickly to reassert a conventional reality and help us put things in their proper place and see them with their proper labels and and, and go back to that way of of seeing so when I was talking uh, before about the last few days of my solitary retreat in October where I had that I had <laughs> where there was this an experience of um, appearance and voidness as inseparable you know sustained and accessible over over a number of days um, but at the beginning of that it's um, which was when I was sort of doing walking meditation up the path that up and down the path that led to the cabin. Um, at the beginning of it, it was um, yes, I was walking past stuff I usually just went past to get somewhere more interesting with a better view. Um, but when you know, and this sense of everything, you know, appearance and emptiness. So it, so everything is appearing. <laughs> um, you know, initially it felt quite trippy and freaky, and I found like you know I had to sort of look away or stop I couldn't you know it's difficult to both walk um yeah anyway and you know in fact a friend I was talking to describing her experience of a similar thing as you know the world's gone woo woo you know it's, it's like initially it's all just a bit too much and that that settled down does settle down quite quickly but it's it's it can take quite a lot to stay with it or keep turning back to it um so that's why, you know, our, our minds can cut in. It's a sort of this disorientation or groundlessness or fear. So not, you know, I suppose that's just like not to be too um, freaked out by that, I guess. <laughs> but, um, you know, which links, yes, I have nearly finished. It links to an image I have of these different ways of experiencing um, you know, that in, in a sort of conventional reality, you know, we're going forward and there's this and there's this and blah, 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 and they all things in their place. And it's as if there's a sort of a window to the side, which is just not, it's sort of obscured to us. Partly because we just don't know it's there. But once we've sort of seen that and recognised and that, oh, right, oh, there's that, you know, then it's, it's um, then we, we know, <laughs> You know, we can know at some level that that is, that is the reality. That, oh, right, okay, it is true. It's not making it all up. <laughs> Appearance and voidness are inseparable. You know, so, so the, you know, the text, you know, it talks about as well in the bit that Atra Shraddha was talking about yesterday about the moment of Shunyata being surrounded by a calm and gentle aura. You know, but I think that in that that is you know talking about this sort of release that can come through it, but there can also be a sense of um, you know a bit more like a thunderbolt bolt or a, just a really tiny ordinary moment of oh ha <laughs> mm, ha things. Um, yeah, I mean I hadn't heard the expression that Michelle used before face palm. You know that sort of <sighs> you know and that you know so so it can be any of those things. Anyway. I wanted to end by going back to that line, not falling into the errors of excitement or passivity, be filled with confidence. So the error of excitement comes in 
when it's like, oh, 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 I've just seen this, I've just seen this. And, and, and you know, we try to grasp the ungraspable. You know, so often these things that we experience, you know, like we go back to that analogy of the rocket from before, you know, they're things that, you know, they burn up in the atmosphere as soon as they appear. You know, it's not, we can't, we can't hold them, you know. So I think that sort of era of excitement is also like, oh, I'm a person who's seen this. You know, we can, we can sort of add to our sense of, of who we are and make it more solid. So that's the fear, you know, and that's what the excitement is pointing to. However, personally, and lots of people will disagree with me on this, I don't think that's a particularly big risk, and particularly for Western women, because I think, <clears throat> so, so um, you know, and that actually we can too readily dismiss those things in ourselves or in other people by having that fear, you know, because actually what we've seen is, Oh, so that's reality. And that is important to recognise. And it's a helpful memory because when we don't have access to it directly, it's like, yeah, but hang on, is this really as solid or existing as it seems? Because actually when I have that, yeah. Um, and so, so also, so I think it is important to talk about these things, to recognise them, to understand them, to understand them in that concept of um, the reality of voidness um but so so um that links to i definitely haven't reread this bit <laughs> um so i think that links to this thing of um oh yeah and also you know once those things are seen you know more and more clearly and it's, it can be a very gradual process it's you know, that that sort of path of transformation becomes easier. You know, it changes everything. You know, once it's sort of clearly seen that sort of um, appearance and, vo and voidness are inseparable, it changes everything. You know, once it's seen that that applies to the self, you know, there's no solid entity doing this and trying to get better at that, and little, 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 you know, project, protect. You know, things can slide off much more easily. Transformation becomes much, much easier. Things are held much more lightly. So that's why it talks as, you know, <clears throat> this is the real foundation without which no means exists. So my encouragement is to not fall into the error of passivity, but to um, actively, though with relaxation and not forcibly, <laughs> as we saw yesterday, is to um, allow this verse of great import, as it is expressed in the text, to... Um, you know, and those teachings to, to, to sit, you know, to, to, to really entertain that reality as something which is um, accessible. And also we can do some of that investigation and looking in our experience about, well, okay, these things I can just see that way, but what about those? Or So what about some of the things in the middle? And um, in the session after the break, we will do some of that um, looking or exploring in terms of emptiness, um, emptiness of inherent existence in relation to ourselves um, so I'll just take you through a few um, inquiries exercises ways of looking um, in the shrine room after the break that's it <laughs> Thank you.
We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Please help us keep this free. Make a contribution at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash donate. And thank you 